Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We are definitely experiencing and having to deal with unprecedented times. To borrow a nautical phrase, we are in uncharted waters with COVID-19. To simplify it, if that's possible, our objective has to be, over the next few months, not to infect ourselves or others. Easier said than done, because this is a major challenge. The Fighting Irish, we used to be known as, let's now show that spirit and reputation in a more positive light. Where the road takes me, as you know, depends on the community. Each and every program does so. For me, it's always been a pleasure to go into our community to hear, record and broadcast your stories. Because of the challenge that COVID-19 has posed, traveling into any community now is not possible. We have to change direction, but not the quality of the program. All recordings for the program from now on will be done via phone. We will try to keep the program as light and as entertaining as possible. But this evening, we kick off with a program on the virus itself, with a journey beyond our usual borders, as we check in a few people in the United States, Germany, the UK, and of course here in Ireland, as we discover how they are coping with their own challenges. So, good evening and welcome to the first of a new look, a temporary edition of Where the Road Takes Me. So we're off to Hackney in the UK, firstly to meet Les McKeown, who was lead singer with the Bay City Rollers. The band he currently tours with are also known as the Bay City Rollers. Les has underlying health problems, which means he has to keep an extra eye on his activities every day. But before I talk to him about all of that, I began by asking him how the virus has affected his touring schedule. Well, the immediate effect, uh, John, is that the recent Canada tour that was due to last so 22 days was cut down to 16 when the Canadian government shut down the theatres that I was performing in and then I had to quickly rearrange or try and rearrange flights home for me and, and all the staff the band and the sound mixer and everybody like that unless there's some going to be some kind of insurance pair that's going to be a bit of a hefty burden apart from that it's back here and, and really come to terms with how serious this all is you know you think, well, every year the flu comes around. I, I'm in a special kind of boss. I've got type 2 diabetes, so I get, you know, my flu injections early. I'm contacted very quickly by the National Health Service here in Hackney, and uh, they, they tend to do a good job on the vulnerable people in society. So I kind of used to have the flu job, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So you would be one, so, one of those people that they would refer to as people who are having underlying health problems and they would be keeping an extra eye out for you, I presume? Well, I haven't seen anybody keeping an extra eye out for me. I'm <laughs> with more severe underlying symptoms than me, but still, it is concerning. And to what extent are people happy in the UK as to how Boris Johnson and his government are dealing with this? You know what, I, I, I've been self-isolated. Me, my wife and my son were, were in the house now. And since I came back, I think I went out once and dad, you know, got some food and stuff like that. We've got a well-stocked larder, so they're not really wanting for anything at the moment. And I'm sure the production of um, food and necessary things will make it to the shops. Over this week, people can stop panic buying. Right. What sort of um, containment procedures have they in store in the UK at the moment? I know your pub's closed over the weekend. What about social distancing and all that? And are people complying well, with it? Yeah, well, I've seen on, the, um, on some news reports that um, people were mingling in parks and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think they're really taking it as serious as it should be taken. But maybe after we've seen some of these front paper pictures today with rows of coffins and stuff like that, maybe they will start taking it a little bit more serious. And it is very hard. To, I mean, I went out, out there just to get a pint of milk and I thought to myself, I'm going to put on gloves. I'm going to put on a mask. I'm going to put on a hat. What about glasses? You know, and I, I saw somebody walking towards me up the road, so I crossed the road. You know what I mean? I'm <laughs> it's like, and then I thought, how am I going to get my money out of my pocket? And are they going to accept money? And I'll have to take my gloves off to touch the money. And if he gives me money back, I don't know where his hands have been. So I decided to pull out my touchy credit card thing, you know, because that would make one less contactable kind of thing possible. But there's a lot of things that we touch all the time. In a public place, you want to go to the toilets or something like that. Those places, I mean, you don't know when they were cleaned or if anyone was in there with a sanitizer. I did not get another bus, for instance. You have to hold on to some metal thing in the bus. You might lean up against the window. And, you know, there might be some sneeze on that. I know it's a bit disgusting to talk about, but there are those practical things that you just don't realise until you start to think about them, how many things you're touching and how many places you could catch this. Les McKeown, lead singer with the Bay City Rollers, and we'll return to him again later in the programme. Let me also say that last week's edition of Where the Road Takes Me with Michael McCarthy was the first in a two-part programme, the second part of which will be heard on next week's edition of the programme. Now let's head off to New Orleans in the United States of America to meet Professor John M. Barry. He's a lecturer at the Tulane University School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. He's also author of the story of the deadliest pandemic in history, a detailed account of the flu of 1918. Coming at the end of the First World War, a lot of untruths were told about that particular flu, basically to ensure that finances were not diverted from the war effort. Despite attempting to play down the effects of that flu, more than 50 million people worldwide died from it, quite a large proportion of which were young people. I began by asking him about the death toll and how it would relate in numbers to the present day. Oh, probably somewhere between 225 and 450 million. So it's rather attention-getting. 
Fortunately, this virus doesn't look like it'll do anything like that. In all your articles and what you've written, you are at pains to emphasize the importance of truth, saying that it can be handled by populations. But back then in 1918, they were more or less at the tail end of World War One, And I suppose to contend with that, participating governments did not want finances being diverted to an influenza. So would that relate to some of the untruths that were told back then? Well, I'm most familiar with the United States. I think the European countries had outright censorship. The United States had a little bit different policy, but effectively the same. They created an infrastructure of propaganda, which often meant lies, to keep morale up. And when the pandemic came, it fit into that infrastructure, and people had been used to trying to put the best conceivable face on everything. And that continued with influenza with, you know, pretty bit poor results. I noted that the headline in the editorial in Thursday's edition of the New York Times said, stop saying it's under control, referring to uh, the United States, of course. And is that the case there, saying it's under control when in fact it's not? Well, it certainly is not under control. And Trump had been saying that pretty consistently uh, from early on until Sunday a week ago. Uh, Then last Monday, for the first time, it seems like 10 years ago now, but it was only last Monday, he seemed to take it very seriously as it needs to be taken. Right. And are they basically playing catch-up at present? Very much so. You know, the testing is way, way behind most other countries. And of course, you can't identify who's sick to isolate them unless you know they're sick. I, I mean, you have to test to do that. So the virus continues to spread while we're trying to catch up on the test. I don't know if we'll ever get ahead of it, actually. Much of the United States has imposed pretty stringent social distancing measures, but then you have the problem of people complying and and doing what they're advised to do. Right. So is it a case of time lost is rarely gained in a case like this? Very much so. Yeah, exactly. About 15 years ago, you became part of an initial working group which was tasked with recommending non-pharmaceutical interventions. In other words, steps you can take when you don't have drugs. And I presume I'm right in saying that was the case back in 1918. They didn't have a lot of drugs. So non-pharmaceutical interventions were vital back then. It was exactly the same thing. I mean, I was invited because of my knowledge of events in 1918. and, And they knew going into that, the planning, that what we'd be left with is many of the same things. You know, the real lessons are, again, social distancing, but they, those measures have to be imposed pretty early to be effective. If you wait until a lot of people are dying, that only means the virus is widespread and it's too late then to social distance, if I can make a verb out of that. Social distancing then, isolation, washing of hands, etc. Compared to the present day, to what extent were these measures successful back in 1918 and to what extent did people comply with them rigidly, if at all? Well, by and large, they were not successful because they were imposed too late. Uh, in terms of compliance, the disease was as scary as we are, the, as this is right now. That was a lot more frightening. Uh, so compliance, had there never been a social distancing order, the streets would likely have been emptied and anyway. You know, they didn't issue suggestions like six feet apart and so forth and so on. But, you know, absenteeism at work, even in war industries, uh, reached 40 to 60 percent, for example. And, and those workers were advised that they were as important as soldiers on the front line. 
And of course, there was no sick leave back then. They didn't get paid if they didn't come to work. Uh, plus, they had medical care, uh, which was unavailable among the civilian communities. Even with those things, they uh, were still absent in huge numbers. So the private sector, you don't have good data, but it was probably much like that or, or worse. My next port of call is to Berlin in Germany to speak to a lady who has guested on special editions of Where the Road Takes Me in the past. Marcia Barrett, former lead singer with Boney M. According to her, self-isolation is absolutely no problem because she and her husband Marcus rarely go out except for touring with their band and they both enjoy each other's company. Well, it seems like there is a magical world after all. Yes, exactly. To a certain exactly. degree, yeah. Where are we going to go out? You know, I mean, it's so obvious people staring at me and, and stuff like that. <laughs> so, and then you always have to be pick a pillow, you know, in your dress. I mean, I like dressing up, but I think it's a waste of time if I don't have to be on stage. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm human. You know, if, if I'm home, yeah, I don't wear makeup or anything. I'm I'm at home, mm. you know. So if it's going to take me to put a little makeup on and so on, just to look at window shopping, I hate shopping anyway, you know, or anything. And I don't need anything because the clothes I've collected in the years, you know, and Marcos and neither. We, we both need nothing, you know. So And then we take the holidays. We, if we... Up until this day, haven't had a honeymoon. You can imagine with all the countries that, well, I have seen before I met him and then afterwards, there was no time to even fit in date with a honeymoon that we can go off and say, well, it's late, but here we are. <laughs> and when you talk about being out, you've had, you you do have enough of out when you're, you're both on stage anyway. So it's nice. Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah. And the applause and so on. That I miss more than anything else, the applause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> 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 no, you know, yeah. you, you want people to appreciate you. Absolutely, yeah. And appreciate what you've done. So you feel, well, I feel like a queen. Each show I feel like a queen. On a serious note, how are people coping with it overall in Germany? Are they complying well, with what they're told to do? Everywhere is dead as yeah. far, just looking through the windows. And it's such a beautiful day outside. The sun is shining, skies are blue. And but just one and two, there's a buyer shop just down the road and I see that certainly there was a little queue there they would allow a few people in but I think they have um, realized what's going on quicker than what I could see other places like people are still walking in the park in Britain and so forth mm -hmm. yeah. you know which is like what, what's, what's going out are, are they afraid of staying in their own four, four corners I find it great staying home it shouldn't be a punishment should it and that basically puts the finishing touches to part one of this evening's programme. Marcia Barrett, Les McKeown, Professor John M. Barry will rejoin us in part two. And we'll also hear about the expanding role of the Gardaí in the present virus crisis. Join me for part two in a few moments.
It's part two of Where the Road Takes Me as we take a worldwide tour this evening, checking on famous people and how they are coping with COVID-19 or the coronavirus. Now let's head back to New Orleans again to Professor John M. Barry, who's a lecturer at the Tulane University School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. As author of the book on the 1918 flu, his advice is often sought when attempting to learn lessons from 100 years ago. positives to be taken from COVID-19, am I correct in saying it's that its incubation period is longer than influenza? So a little extra time on hand here, but some nations differ as to how they benefit, if at all, from this grace period. Let's call it that. Well, it's both a plus and a minus. The It gives you an opportunity to do contact tracing, which in influenza, most people, the incubation period is only 48 hours. It makes contact tracing almost impossible. But the downside is this thing is going to stretch out much longer. Is each generation of illness, you know, takes that much longer time. So I expect to see several waves in and out. Uh, it's hard to imagine that we would have the measures in place for months at a time. They have, they have to be relieved. At some pe- point, people are going to have to go back to work and the hope is that we can, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, flatten the curve, so the healthcare system doesn't get overwhelmed. You know, it's a very, very tricky balance, and I don't know that it's, you know, it's difficult. <laughs> very difficult. I don't know if we have enough data to figure it out with algorithms, and I'm, I'm not a math guy. But obviously, modelers have to be hard at work, and we still don't have enough data to figure that out. We have a problem here in Ireland at the moment with a lot of young people regarding themselves as being untouchable because of their youth, their fitness and their health status. And also a lot of people here aren't complying with the isolation and a lot of people are gathering on beaches and riverbanks, etc. and having their own little private parties. This would be one lesson we could point out to this section of our community learned from 1918 because am I correct in saying a lot of the victims back then were, were they young? Well, in 1918, it was the reverse of right now. Well over 90% of the excess mortality, people under 65 years old. Back then, apparently, the elderly had been exposed to a very similar virus in their youth, one that was mild, so it didn't even register in medical history, really. Uh, And that gave them natural immune system protection uh, against the 1918 virus. But the peak age for death in 1918 was 28. Probably two-thirds of fatalities were people aged 18 to 50. So right now, there's plenty of irresponsibility in the United States as well. Uh, You may have seen pictures of beaches in, in Florida. Those people will spread the virus. They will go back home and spread the virus. And plus, the young are not immune. They do get sick. And some of them will die in much lower numbers than the elderly. But still, some will die. Everybody, when I say everybody, I'm talking about many nations at the moment, are looking now at the Chinese model of containment or dealing with it. If they themselves in China had acted sooner, would we be witnessing a more favorable situation worldwide now? 
it's possible. You know, if they had acted with the same aggressiveness uh, that they ended up acting with when this first surfaced, very beginning, it's even conceivable they would have contained it. But it would be hard to expect them to have that good judgment, actually, given their system. You know, obviously, they didn't do that. They hid it for a week, few weeks, arrested the doctors who tried to alert people. But you all know that story. I think you don't have to take as stringent measures as the Chinese did to control this. You know, Singapore, Taiwan, Korea, they have all done very well in containing the virus, Hong Kong, and they haven't been nearly as radical in the actions they took as the Chinese. So they they are the lessons, or, or the models, rather. The Cork West Garda Division covers a huge area of the county, from the Barry Peninsula, a line to Boherbui, across to Ovens and on to Carrigaline, and everywhere out to the seashore in between. The officer in charge of the division is Chief Superintendent Con Cadigan, and I began by suggesting to him that the role of the Garda in the community has expanded greatly since the unwelcome arrival of COVID-19. Certainly has, John. I suppose, look, we're there in a supporting role, not alone for the community, but for the health service and for pharmacies and that. And I suppose, certainly, you know, it's very encouraging to see the support we're getting out in the community as well. We're a support agency. We're a frontline agency. You know, over the last week, uh, I suppose, certainly you, you can see it's very evident out there as well, you know, that, you know, that support is needed there. Again, I suppose, you know, as regards advising our own members going out in relation to social distancing guidelines and that we're following the, the HSE guidelines, which are probably you know, taken from best practice worldwide. And again, I suppose, look, to reiterate that out there to our good people in West Cork, you know, not to, to underestimate the importance of social distancing. We have been in contact with our colleagues in uh, Italy and, and indeed in France and that, and that's what's coming back. Again, you know, not to underestimate that. I suppose the important thing there is to distinguish between, you know, again, your, your social distancing as regards physical distancing, and maybe that's what we should be calling it, is, is your physical distance between people. Because certainly, I think, from a social point of view and, and the use of social media, you know, is very important. You know, we all have, you know, parents, grandparents, and, and people who may be living alone, and it is very important that we keep that social aspect, you know, I suppose open to keep people's morale and keep spirits up as well out there and, and that we do contact and speak to people and, and that, you know. We saw recently where the Gardaí took possession of a fleet of cars. Have you got your allocation of cars and to what extent are you using them? Uh, yes, we have got, it was 210 cars made available nationally. Uh, we have one in place actually in the town of Kilty and there's a second one actually coming today going to Bantry. Those vehicles will be utilised by our community Gardaí out in communities and obviously we'll be linking now uh, we're in the stages of, of linking in with the community-based associations and organisations, all our, you know, GA clubs, soccer clubs, rugby clubs and that, and, and you know, to create, I suppose, where they can support us as well and support the health service again over what is a very challenging time, and I have no doubt we're in for two to three very tough weeks where, you know, we need everybody shoulder to the wheel who can help in that, and, and I have no doubt that the people of West Cork will rise to that and work with us and work with the health service in that. The Gardaí who were working then with the, these fleet of cars and working within the community and uh, working with GPs and the pharmacies, etc. If they come across anything that's not law compliant, they can act on that, of course, as well. 
Well, that's correct, Dennis. Well, that became very evident during the week, and I know I've been maybe to the forefront in respect of licensed premises that didn't comply with the government guidelines, which came out on the 15th of March, and that, and uh, as a result of that, is was we have increased our number of inspections and that of all licensed premises, for example. And unfortunately, look, there has been two detections in West Cork, uh, but you know, which is very low. And I want to thank the 99.9% of publicans and license holders who have complied with it and that. But a very interesting thing has come from that, John, and is was again that communities won't accept that behaviour. They're very quick to ring in on Goddard Chicane and we're delighted with that and I'd encourage uh, the community out there, you know, you're, you're protecting your community and that and indeed over the last few days any places that they felt it was going on, you know, they did ring in and um, I think it is evident on social media as well if you look at some of the, the comments where places were open, um, you know, you can see that the community didn't take kindly to it. What are the penalties now with that? Previously it was, well, when you reapply for your licence, this could come against you. But is there an actual law there now that prevents them doing that, reopening? Well, the new health bill, there are obviously a number of sections to that. And uh, we believe it is covered within that uh, act as well, that you know that we can take action, certainly. As well, secondly, obviously, uh, in, in relation to licensed premises, you know, um, any proprietor has to be a, a responsible person. And uh, that's one of the key criteria to holding a, a pub licence. The annual licensing court on God can object to the renewal of a license as indeed can anybody out in the community by the way John can anybody can object it at the licensing co- annual licensing court in September and I suppose you know for people that don't abide by it uh, obviously the annual licensing court will be the day of reckoning and uh, where we will obviously go into the courts and object on the grounds that that person is not a suitable person to hold a license if they act irresponsibly you know and, and obviously it will lie in the hands of the judge then whether he wants to, to relicense those premises or not one of my guests this evening on Where the Road Takes Me is lead singer with the Bay City Rollers, Les McCone. And I'm wondering if, as there is here, a problem with panic buying in the UK at present. So, let's find out. people over here it tends to be toilet paper is panic buying a serious problem over there and what are they panic buying well the same is true over here toilet paper seems to be the number one product on the shelves and uh, what's that paracetamol i went down to my local chemist um, that's got my prescription from a metformin and got them all right no problem we were open for two hours today and also i can get them delivered if i want to yeah and they'll just leave them on the doorstep so there's a lot, I think, I think the, the you know, the, the light bulbs went on and people, I was out there, like I said, for a pint of milk and it's a good five, ten minute walk and I think only saw two people in a three cars. Did you say to me earlier that the pharmacies remain open only for two hours per day? Well, that's not every pharmacy. Yeah. I can only speak for the one that's on my, you know, when I go to get my repeat prescriptions because before I went to Canada they had something that went wrong with a computer or something and um, so they had to give me a, an emergency supply until I came back so uh, well I'm back now so I just went and got them. I think everybody's you know trying to help as much as they can you know you just have to get over this the panic of it all what am I going to do what am I going to eat you know. Do you believe like a lot of people over here believe as well that this containment will last a lot longer than we're initially told? Well 
you know, we don't, we've not got really enough information. If you look at the, the China um, graph that's um, constantly on Sky TV, they've not reported any cases now for the last couple of days, I think. So they seem to have peaked. That's if we can believe anything they say. But um, <laughs> if that graph is true and it's levelling out, well, that's quite a good sign, really, you know, because they've, they've done a lot of things in China. Built that hospital, they've sprayed everybody. Um, what else can you do? I think just staying away from people, sneezing. If you stay out of their way, you should be relatively okay. And I know it's a joke now, but wash your hands all the time because you're always touching something. You're right in what you say. A lot of people now are turning towards the Chinese model and saying within three months, they seem to have stopped the increase of cases. And who knows what would the case have been if they had acted earlier? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's a lot of things to be said about that particular place. But I mean, one is that uh, you can't be 100% sure of the quality of the information that's coming out of that country, which is basically a dictator. But so you can't, it's, it's all controlled, isn't it? I mean, if there could be millions dying over there, we wouldn't know. You've obviously got a lot of rearranging to do now from a business point of view. Yeah, I have. I mean, I was preparing, while I was in Canada, I was preparing my posters and stuff for my UK tour, and I've got an Australian tour booked for it's August. Then I'm going back at the end of August to hopefully finish these Canada dates and then come back to start 55 dates in uh, our countries over here, All Ireland right. and Great Britain. Well, I hope you get to complete them all. In the meantime, though, uh, do stay safe and do stay healthy, and I really appreciate you taking the call, Les. No problem, and the same to you and all your listeners. Stay well. Everybody, when I say everybody, I'm talking about many nations at the moment, are looking now at the Chinese model of containment. If they themselves in China had acted sooner, would we be witnessing a more favorable situation worldwide now? It's possible. You know, if they had acted with the same aggressiveness uh, that they ended up acting with when this first surfaced, the very beginning, it's even conceivable they would have contained it. But it would be hard to expect them to have that good judgment actually given their system. You know, obviously they didn't do that. They hid it for a week, few weeks, arrested the doctors who tried to alert people. But you all know that story. Professor John M. Barry from the Tulane University School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine in New Orleans. And he'll be rejoining us in part three. And we'll also hear more from Chief Superintendent Kant Cadigan. And we go back to Germany to speak again to Marcia Barrett. Rejoin me in part three in a few moments. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, maybe we should call this evening's program Where the World Takes Me because we're traveling around the globe to check on how people in a number of countries are dealing and coping with the virus. But that would be cheating, really, because I haven't really moved from the studio. So we'll stick with Where the Road Takes Me. Now let's return to Germany for the final time to speak to former lead singer with Pony M, Marcia Barrett. And I believe it's worth taking note of a lot of sensible points she makes. What about the social distancing? Are people complying with that? I think so, you see. Well, especially, well, I don't want to pick out and say, but the Germans love to come up near to you. I don't know if they're curious or... And sometimes you actually see them breathing in your back of your neck. Yeah. And I hate that when people come, strangers come too, too near, you know. But now they are, they realize and they could see that. Don't go up too near. Don't go, you know, such and such, take a, a couple of paces or four paces back and that's it. So I think they, they have digested so far what I've seen. And this morning we were looking at the um, news and they said that, um, you know, the total, well, really now is only, it's under 100 people who passed away. But it was all in a sudden here too. It's not anything that one could have prepared for. Over here in Ireland, pubs have closed, restaurants have closed, yes, shops have see. closed, yes. hotels have yes. closed. And the fear is, number one, yes. you know, the economic damage it would do in between, but the fear is also... Oh, it is doing damage already yeah. because we can't earn. Yeah, but the overall fear then is, will a lot of these places actually reopen again? And would that be a concern in Germany? Well, I should think so. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't get around with uh, people to discuss, you know, what I'm seeing is what we are gathering from the news. And I should suppose it's the same effect. You know, if you have small businesses or, or what, or if you're self-employed and so forth, you know. I mean, look at us entertainers. Yeah. <laughs> We're having a bad deal. Who wants to go out and see a show now? And, and you can't get so many people in one place. So it looks very grim, but what are you going to do? Do you want to stay alive or and, and, and stop playing selfish and think about all the people who l love to live? You know, you can go out and catch it. That's a fair yes, point, yes. yeah. yeah. Yes, so well, you can't have both things at the same time. Have you had to, to cancel any concert yet? No, no, and well, thank God. Mm. I must say that during that time after I published um, Forward, it was more setting there, you know, film views, people would like to do a little film on that, and so forth and so forth. There's a lot of meetings, and really, the only show we did last year was when we went to Dubai and did that uh, ceremony, opening ceremony for the cricket, you know. And that was that. Apart from that, it was just interviews, meeting here, meeting here. And we are actually dying to be on stage. <laughs> 
you know, and offers come and, and the offers go, but if they're not tempting enough, then you're not going to leave and run around because each trip is a risk, not because of what's happening now, but anyway. You know, and that's how we look at uh, look at things, look at life. Somebody said to me the other day, well, mm. you know, this is what you're getting now because of the way we are treating or mistreating the earth. And you strike me as a person that would be very close to the earth. I hear that lovely therapeutic water in the background again still. Oh, yes, yeah. always in my office. Yeah. <laughs> would you go along with that? Is it is it as a result of um, mistreating the earth and the environment? Anything? Well, yeah, that, that is that, that, that thing is really the environment one have to really stop and think you know because you can see the signs that everything is right what we're fighting for and I would be I would be one of those people to say well listen here why isn't it raining when it should why isn't it snowing when it should what's happening why are the lakes um, melting why you know and these little things you know Birds are coming out earlier than usual and, you know, if people would stop and take stock and realize what's happening instead of walking around with these little phones up their ears all day, not even noticing what's happening in the world or next door them, what the, the neighbor or so, how does that person look, what that, that person had on when they left it. You know, if there's no time for that nowadays, which is a pity. It is. Eye to eye contact converse always at this computer and or you know or this iphone and oh i don't have one of those no i need my peace well (laughs) you know that's that's a good way to end and it's a good way to get people thinking about what you said as always you and marcus stay safe and stay thank you very much it was so nice hearing your voice john and and you too marcia god bless you take care right bye me updated you would have to search hard and long to find any positives in all of this But when backs are to the wall, it often brings out the best in people, particularly in helping their friends, neighbours and the community at large. It's hoped very much so that this sense of goodwill will last far beyond what we hope will be the short life of this virus. Officer in charge of the Cork West Garda Division, Chief Superintendent Con Cadigan, agrees. Communities obviously, you know, realise that, you know, any behaviour that's unacceptable, you know, that's going to, you know, spread this virus, which nobody wants. Obviously, people are very, I suppose, awake to it now, and, and they're not afraid to challenge people, be it on social media or indeed to make, you know, a report on God Shikhan or to the health service and, and that. And I think, you know, we're all in this together. You know, we have to learn from the lessons in Italy. You know, we have to look at best practice that's coming from there and, and indeed the health service, the police service. You know, we have been in contact with those to see what they learn from it and I suppose that's what we're trying to get out here in communities about you know social distancing and you know behaving responsibly in that and um, you know taking action early on I think if we all do it early on it's going to take a few weeks obviously but uh, at the end of it we'll all come out probably a, a lot stronger at the other end out of it. And overall do you find that compliance is getting better now as the days progress? I certainly think it has and I suppose it's a thank you to the media like your good selves and, and you know everybody that, you know that's getting the message out there I think initially maybe some of our young people you know, might have thought they were invincible and indeed we all thought that when we were young probably John, every one of us, you know and um, you know, when you when you look at some of the stats here, indeed some of the people that are in hospital we have some very young people actually currently in hospital who you know, have been detected and that, you know and, and um, you know, this virus has no boundaries and I think the young people now are starting to realise that as well, you know and, and um, you can see they're getting out through their own channels through social media, through Instagram Twitter and Facebook and all the various uh, platforms. On the programme this week I'll be speaking to a 
professor in New Orleans who is an expert on the 1918 flu and he is often asked for his opinion and advice on lessons that can be learned from that. One question that comes up quite a lot is, can we learn from China? I know how rigidly and strictly they adhere to compliance, but they were also late starters as well. If they had started early and realised early how dangerous and how serious this was, things could have been better. So we can learn a lot from China, I presume. Well, that's correct, yes. And certainly the HSE and the World Health Organisation, obviously, are taking a lot of their practice from there. There's no doubt about that. I think we're very fortunate here that the government took early action back on the 15th in closing our schools. And that certainly, I think, you know, some people may argue that we were premature in that respect. But in hindsight, now, when you look back, obviously, you know, it may be one of the things that could be our saviour, you know, down the road as well. And I suppose, you know, it, it certainly flattens the, the curve as well, which the HSE wants, you know, to take pressure off our hospitals, to take pressure indeed off all the services and the service providers as well. And that's so, I suppose, over the next two weeks, certainly are, are very critical here. There's no doubt about that. Professor John M. Barry is with the Tulane University School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. His advice is constantly sought in times like this, particularly if we need to learn from the mistakes made during the flu epidemic of 1918, which claimed more than 50 million lives. I think you don't have to take as stringent measures as the Chinese did to control this. You know, Singapore, Taiwan, Korea, they have all done very well in containing the virus, Hong Kong, and they haven't been nearly as radical in the actions they took as the Chinese. So they they are the lessons, or, or the models, rather. When it happens that there are no more cases and life slowly but surely returns to normal, as we all hope it will be, is that it or will COVID-19 be always lurking in the background? Well, this virus is, is out there and I think it will be with us forever from now on. But one of the reasons it spread so widely is because no one's immune system has ever experienced it. The next time they see it, they will, they will have natural defenses, even without vaccine or therapeutic drugs. So the virus will be here. And uh, however, I think both naturally and through pharmaceuticals, we'll be able to deal with it much better. And I would think a year or so from now, we may be completely done with any social distancing requirements. I would hope anyway. But it, it will be roughly a year, you imagine, from now? Well, I, I'm not saying we're going to. I would think we're going to cycle through several waves. You know, it's hard to predict exactly, but I would expect several waves. You know, obviously, you cannot shut down the entire economy for six or eight months, nor could you get compliance of enough people to make a difference for an extended period of time. So we're going to have to figure out what to do. You know, again, very difficult balancing act. So while every section of the community is working hard to get back to some semblance of normality again, we are, according to Professor Barry, being overly optimistic in believing that's going to happen within the next three or four weeks. I would think so. I live in the French Quarter in New Orleans, 
which is a you know, pretty heavy concentration of bars and restaurants. And we're in the same situation here. New Orleans happens to be a hot spot. You know, a lot of people out of work. Of course, I think there are a few cities in the world hit as hard as New Orleans, a combination of tourism, which is zero. The hotels are closed. Hotels are closed because nobody's in them. But also the oil industry, you know, not so much New Orleans anymore, although it once was uh, a center for the oil industry, but the state certainly is a center for the oil industry. So the price drop in oil has had or will have significant ramifications here. And the fear here is, and I, I presume it's it's there where you are as well, that a lot of businesses who have closed now may not be in a position financially to open again. Exactly. And of course, in the U.S. Congress, as we speak, are trying to figure out how to alleviate some of that pressure, but they can't alleviate all of it. So we will see. It's, it's not a cheerful time. There is one reason for some optimism, is at least here in New Orleans, a sense of community, I think, is, is out there. I presume you have never, ever, ever come across anything that would lighten this in your career. Certainly not, but I suppose the, the one positive out is, is the, the resilience out there in communities and stuff. And, you know, that is starting to show, there's no doubt. And, and um, you know, people coming together and, and um, I suppose, sharing the stories and not alone that, you know, supporting each other. And I think, you know, this will become very, very evident. And, and I think, you know, the harrowing scenes that we see coming in on our television from Northern Italy and that there, where you have the, the defence forces obviously dealing with burials and dealing with all the bodies that they're dealing with out there I think that would bring it home to anybody and certainly you know and that's something we don't want to see here and I think it is in everybody's interest to ensure we work together and, and to fight this you know deadly virus and then to try and keep it away and I was going to end on that point anyway difficult times a lot of upheaval a lot of people put out but when you think of it it's all to save lives that well, should well that's yeah. great John and I suppose look you know if you look at it from a business perspective out of every challenge there's always opportunity and I think that's what we'll you know in the next few weeks there'll be great opportunities again for people and that and, and you know we'll face the challenge but certainly there be, should be great opportunities out there again to you know to come back very very quickly from this and the good thing will be that we'll be around to do it hopefully hopefully yeah. so it's important we stay safe out there John Chief Superintendent Con Cadigan of the Cork West Garda Division and that's our programme for this evening my sincere thanks to everybody who took time out to join us Next week, we conclude the two-part programme on Michael McCarthy, co-founder of the Rich Show Band and now friend of the environment. You may remember part one was broadcast on last week's edition of Where the Road Takes Me. My thanks also to John Paul, who was in sound this evening, and you for sharing part of your Sunday evening with us. Until next week at seven, stay apart, stay safe and stay healthy. For me, John Green, take care and goodbye for now. Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. 
And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 